Well, good Saturday morning, and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We certainly wish you would. And, of course, today with the... I don't want to call them cell phones. I guess that's getting kind of a dated term. But yeah. The phones, the wireless phones that we have. Okay. It used to be one time long distance was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Man, I can remember when I was a kid. Oh, man, this is long distance. You have to use a little cryptic thing and talk real fast. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But most of the phones that are out there now, there is no extra charge for calling long distance within the country. So right. just feel free. Just dial those numbers in. It just has to have a way to find you. That's, that's how. it. <laughs> just thought I'd throw that little bit of trivia in there. <laughs> Give us a call. We always enjoy hearing folks all around the country, all around town. You know, we were talking last week, and folks who listen to the show every week, I think they find a little bit of a continuity. We try to take one show and more or less meld it into the next. Right. And if we don't totally finish on a topic, we try to pick up the rest of it. Yeah, the next pick up show. the last little bit. We were talking about lug nuts and all, and I think we covered it pretty well. But there are a couple of things that did not get mentioned that you there mentioned are, earlier. And I was... I realized that after we went off the air, we didn't mm-hmm. quite cover the, the whole thing. We talked about torque and tightness and everything, but mm-hmm. there is a taper on the end of that lug nut where it fits into the wheel, whether it be an aluminum wheel or a steel wheel. Mm-hmm. And for the majority of them, they're cut on about a 45-degree angle. That's correct. But there are exceptions to there that There are rule. a handful that have a 60-degree angle, and there are some that have a rounded bottom right so your european stuff is made that way yeah you will find some european cars i know some of the mercedes and some of the bmws have that rounded bottom we used to service those cars we had special adapters we did that would adapt to those wheels to balance them correct and that is the wheels that use that method now there's also another method but before we get ahead of ourselves there yeah that taper has to be there it has to be in good shape and most importantly of all you cannot mix those they are not compatible one with another right even though the stud size and the thread pitch are the same it may screw right on there it it may screw like right on there but the taper on the lug nut is going to be wrong against the wheel and it's not going to hold it correctly right what it can do is mash that up and then it destroy the wheel i know if you put a 60 degree taper on a 45 degree it's going to only hit in a very small area it can cause the lug stud to snap at yep. that area and same thing, if you put a 45 on a 60, it's only going to hit the very top. And, again, it creates a stress riser in the stud, which can cause the stud to snap. Also, it can damage the wheel if you crank it down tight enough. I've seen the lug nuts crank down so tight that it cuts a flat spot in the taper on the lug nut. That's right. And another thing, if you do have the right lug and the right stud and you over-torque those, particularly on steel wheels, we find this, it will dig in. The steel will just dig into the lug nut. Yep. And so you get is a step. In other words, you've got the 45-degree taper, then you got like a step where it's eating the metal away, and then another little taper at the bottom. And that can work its way loose. That's very dangerous when you see that. That's something you should always inspect for when and, you remove a wheel. And not only that, when it starts cutting that edge into that lug stud, it's also crushing the end of the lug nut. That's right. Which makes it hard to, to put on and off the stud, well, which in turn messes up the threads it, it on the stud. It crushes it down so that when it comes off, it takes the threads with it. Right. And that's where the stripped lug studs come in so many times and it may be one that did it this time but they've all been over torqued so what happens they all come off hard and it's just a matter of time before it strips all of them yep and you can go through with a die and chase those threads but if that taper has messed up it's going to continue to mess up and it will not hold the wheel on so that's the biggest thing 
Now, another thing is if those lug studs are ever left loose, it will Boy. waller the hole out. Man, they can do some damage. Yeah, very, very severe damage very quickly. Once that taper is messed up, the wheel will no longer retain itself as it should, and you can end up with wheels flying off of cars and sure. all those sorts lug of things. Lug nuts falling so, off. The point is that when you do something as simple as just removing the wheels on your car, you need to take just a second and look at those tapers. Make sure they're nice and smooth, that they are operating properly, that they are the right ones for the car. And the right ones for the wheels. The right ones for the wheel. And that is a step that most people never give a second thought to. Not not hardly. And it's one thing that bringing your car to someone who is versed in diagnosis and versed in suspension work, he's more likely to catch that and prevent a problem. And it's just something you need to look out for. Now, right along the same lines, there are also a handful of cars out there that use a different method. They don't use a taper seat. Right. It has a flat washer on the outside with a, a shoulder that goes in almost to the other side of the rim. Mm-hmm. And you most you see those on aluminum rims a lot. A lot of your aftermarket uses that, but some of your, some of your, some of your manufacturers use some, that. I think maybe some of your Hondas will use that method. Depending on the wheel. Mm-hmm. And some of them even use a combination. They do have a little taper at the very bottom of that stub, but they have a shoulder that goes down into a shoulder on the wheel and then a flat washer. That holds it all And head that, that smashes it all flat and holds it together. I know Ford experimented a while back, and this was a real debacle on some of the F-150s. They tried going with a flat lug nut without a taper, and what they had is like a big O-ring on the axle that would center the wheel up. Mm-hmm. And, of course, after on and off two or three times, the O-ring would fall off. Well, now nothing centered the wheel up, so right. it was loose on the car. It was off-center, and those lug nuts couldn't retain it. And they ended up recalling all those vehicles, swapping them out, and going back to a taper seat kind of thing. Right. That's one of those examples of innovation just for innovation's sake. Innovation uh, for stupidity in my yeah, – they, they just you know, didn't I think this out. Exactly. I don't mind them coming up with new ideas, new things, but – If they're better. Thoroughly test it before you send it out to the general public. You know, that's just my opinion. <laughs> well, and there has to be some advantage to the client for having this. And there's what, what does, makes this does better? This, than... Does this lower costs? Does this retain the wheel better? Does it center the wheel more effectively? And in this case, the answer was no. No, all across of those. the board, yeah. So yeah, you, you, there has to be some means of justifying whatever you do. It's not just well, let's see what we can do. Yeah, hold my beer and watch this. Yeah, it's so often that's the type of manufacturing that we're seeing today because innovation. People have come to trust technology a lot, right? And they're looking for innovation. And I had a guy say, "Oh, I'm gonna buy that new car because it's got a 10-speed transmission." I said, "Okay, well, what does that mean to you?" Well, it's a 10-speed transmission. Okay, I understand that. But what does that mean to you? Right. What is? What do you how, get out of this? How is this going to benefit? Well, uh, well, do you realize that when that transmission breaks, it's going to cost this X much amount. repair if it can be repaired? Well, no, I didn't think about that. Compared to a four-speed. But the marketing has convinced people, oh, this, this more, is better. More is better. Right. If four is good, then six is better, and eight's better than that. Ten's got to be the best there is. Exactly. It, but that's not necessarily always the case. If it offers no advantage to you, and I mean really and truly from an emissions standpoint, it does do some things. It helps them get by some of the tests that EPA forces on them. But they can do the same thing with a CVT, which – basically in my opinion is not a great thing but it's a less it's, expensive method of doing it sure so if you just got to do that why don't do it we do it a less expensive way because generally when a cvt goes out it can't be repaired 
but it can be replaced for thirty five hundred dollars. Right, you're gonna change it out anyway, as opposed to a ten speed transmission, which is maybe six or seven thousand dollars, and probably can't be repaired either, and can't be repaired either. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. If, if you gotta go with something boneheaded, let's go with a less expensive boneheaded design, exactly, than, than a more expensive one. Anyway, let's go to our phone lines. We got Tom online. Good morning, Tom. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. You know, I probably I missed the uh, log that stuff. I heard a lot what you just said. I had a 2001 Toyota uh, Tundra, and I broke a stutter too. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if the pitch on the angle on the end of the, the uh, lug nut is wrong. Well, that's one possibility, Tom. Another thing is if whoever is putting the wheels on is not torquing those and not torquing those in the proper pattern, which we kind of went into last week, you can cause them to break. The thing is with lug studs, generally the guy removing the stud is not the guy who broke it. I know he's the guy that gets the blame. The last guy who put it on is the guy who broke it. He either over-torqued it or forced it on or cross-threaded it, and when it comes off, it breaks. You know, they never break okay. coming just coming off. So if you had your wheels rotated elsewhere or maybe you had a brake service done, they pulled the wheels off or whatever reason, and the guy got an impact wrench and he, he cranked one of them, them down. down to 150-foot pounds, then he went across and cranked another one down to 150-foot pounds, he could very likely have damaged those studs, stretched them and all that, and you would not know it until the next time or possibly the next time after that they're removed. So the, or if it broke in the meantime. Yeah, the, the messenger ends up you know, getting, getting the, blame, the blame, although he's not the one that caused the problem. But to address your problem, you're going to need to go in and inspect all that stuff. Just make sure it's all in good, good shape. Now, one thing we covered last week too, Tom, I don't know if you, were, you said you weren't listening, but if someone lubricates the studs on a vehicle, they may think they're doing a good thing. They put never season, they put lubricant. What they have done is completely change the torque requirement of that stud because the torque given is for a dry stud. Clean and dry stud. A clean, dry stud. And what torque is, it's not really tightness. It's a resistance to rotation, and it equates to tightness. But if you lubricate that, it's going to turn a whole lot more, which is going to stretch the stud a whole lot more, which if you put in the same amount of torque could break the stud. Okay. So whole whole lots of things. In fact, if you get a chance, just look up our podcast for last week, and it, we talked just about the whole hour about these kinds of things. I think you'll find all the information you need right there. Okay. Can I ask you one more question? You bet. Same vehicle. I had a wheel bearing, unfortunately, in time to that year. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you can change from the 2001 to 2006, uh, the, uh, I forget what it's called, it's, it's, the holes, the actual bearing, they went to uh, the hub bearing. bearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they went to a bearing in 2006. And I don't know if I can change the components without changing the, you know, yeah. the geometry. Time you're breaking up real, real bad. Maybe you call back and get a little better connection. I can't understand what you're saying. I, what I think you said is, can you change from the hub bearing assembly to the old style? If that's what you were asking, no, you can't. It's a completely different knuckle, and everything is different. And you can't change knuckle because the ball joints. No, it's just a totally different design. But one's not really better than another. It's just two different designs. So, I mean, if you're having problems with your wheel bearings, again, we've talked about that a lot on the show, and give me a call back on a better line, and I'll try to go into that more. I just couldn't hear you the way the call was breaking up. So I apologize for that. But give us a call back, and we'll try to get you some more information there. And going back to the phone lines, we've got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Uh, I've got a question, and I've always wondered about this uh, when you're getting your lugs torqued. Mm-hmm. This little scenario here. So, so you get your tires rotated. They put the lugs back on with, with the air gun, mm-hmm. and they spin it, you know, until it does the 
click, 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 or whatever, whatever you call that, and they move on. They do all that in the correct pattern, but then they come back with a love wrench, and let's say you're torquing at 75 pounds. So they've got the wrench set to 75. Mm-hmm. If they've already tightened the bolt, let's just say to 85, correct. with the air gun, right. as soon as they put the torque wrench on it, it's going to click. That's right? correct. That's yeah. exactly right. So really, they don't know. That is, it's not at 75. That is right. And, and that's a great observation, Greg. Yeah, that is a person who does not know what they're doing. I'm sorry. I, I, I lost. Yeah, I said that's a great observation. That would be a person who does not know what they're doing. If you're over-talking something and coming back with a torque wrench and making it click, you're doing absolutely no good at all. All, you, all you're doing is verifying that it has reached 75 foot-pounds. You don't know yeah, how much more how much beyond. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, that you're right, and that is a good observation. Now, if they have a torque limiting device on their impact that will only go to say 40 or 50 and then they come back and torquing it to 70 or 80 but the person using the wrench has to understand that before it clicks it has, it has to turn turned. just a little bit if you're truly torquing it and there's there should be some rotation felt and then a click if it just instantly clicks no it's already tightened beyond that whatever that yeah uh, i'm sorry you got cut off there again uh, if that didn't totally answer the question, Greg, please give me a call back. But you make a very good point. That, that is exactly right. Hey, we got to take one quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. My way, take the highway. That's the best. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and I'll give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And if you happen not to make the show today or maybe think of something after we go off the air or even next week at noon, there you go. You can always get your questions answered by going to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. That's just the best way to do it. And in case you hear us speaking of something on the show and we refer back to a previous show, you can go either to our website or any of the fine rebroadcast services out there. The podcast is out there. There's at least one year's worth everywhere and some places even maintain more than that so what you're saying is there plenty of show to listen to that's right plenty (laughs) plenty of show to listen to and for folks who maybe heard something today that piqued their interest and they wanted more information if you go to last week's show because we have so many people who listen every week i don't Uh want to bore them to death by repeating all the stuff we talked about last week but there's a whole lot more information on the topic last week sure so you can catch last week's show there on the podcast and there's also several databases there on the website you can get your questions answered that way just peruse on the 
the vehicle questions. There you go. Or the detailed topic section, depending on how much information you want to sit down and read about. That's exactly right. And we do have a whole topic on lug nuts. If you want to know more about it on the website, Uh go into search bar, type in the word lug nut. and It's going to bring up most of the stuff we talked about today. But Greg had brought up a very good point, and that is where if someone goes in with an impact, runs the lug nuts down tight, and takes a torque wrench and goes around and they just click, 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 clicks instantly, no, they do not know what they're doing. Right. And the exception to that is, and again, we talked about this last week, there is a torque limiting extension you can use, and what it does, it limits the amount of torque the impact can apply. Correct. And the better ones can limit it to the exactly correct amount. And the ones who don't do that, you may put it to a smaller amount and then come back behind it with a torque wrench. And I don't like that, even though it sounds good, because to torque the wheel with a wrench, you have to lower the car to the ground so the wheel won't turn. That's an extra step. And if you forget, for any reason, you get distracted, what you're doing is allowing the wheel to go out not as not tight as, tight as, as it should have be. been. And then you're putting an extra step. And if you ever study quality management, what you notice is the less steps, the less chance there is for an error. Exactly. So by using a tool that will limit it to the correct amount of torque, which are widely available, they're expensive, but they're widely available. And that's what most of the better shops are going to use. They can run it down on the rack, let it go, and they know they're tight the right amount. Alternatively, like I said, you could bump them down not as tight, but then you have to lower the car and come back with a wrench and and tighten them. Hand torque. Hand torque. Each each one. Which just gives you an opportunity for an error. It does. So it's, it's a little more dangerous that way. we got Tom on the line. Good morning, Tom. Yeah, I called a little bit ago. Yep. Uh, I was just wondering, actually, whether you can go from the old style to the new style on that vehicle or not. Old style wheel bearing? Yeah. No, sir. What they've done, almost all of your manufacturers now have gone to the sealed wheel bearings where it's a hub assembly. They no longer give you the separate bearing and race and all that you could take apart. It's just, you know, it's just another step that they figured out a way to right. eliminate. It What it does is it limits the amount of labor on the assembly line because they can put this one assembly on. They don't have to do anything with it, so it cuts their production costs, albeit passing it on to you. Now, that being said, one problem they had in the field is that not a lot of the techs out there knew how to adjust wheel bearings anyway. And they were improperly doing creating problems, and this does eliminate that. The hub right. bearings, but to answer your question, no, it can't be done. It's a totally different design. Every part of it is different, so it would be no way to go back and retrofit to the old style. And when I say no way, I mean with enough effort, I'm certain you can go in with a cutting torch and you know cut the whole front end off, weld the whole other front end on, but no practical no. way to do it. No, no. I just all I meant was is this is a pressing style bearing, mm-hmm. and I was just wondering if you can go to the to the, the hub bearing. Style. No, sir. Yeah. It's totally different design the press-in bearings work great as long as they were pressed in properly and if you go to my website there's an article on just that topic how to press bearings properly because most of them are done improperly which causes them to fail again real soon i mean generally if they're put in wrong they're gonna last six months to a year and they're gonna go out again and it all goes back to the guy who put them in he just didn't know what he was doing pressing them in because it is kind of a little bit tricky but go in and, and just type in press in wheel bearing on my website, and there's a nice article that goes into detail on that topic with pictures and everything. What is the website? Agcoauto.com. A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Okay, thank you. Where are you calling from, Tom? Baton Rouge. Okay, okay, you're from Baton Rouge. Yeah, just go on the website. You'll find all the information you need there. All right, thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to catch one more of these phone calls for our break. We have got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. About your lug nut. It's just about impossible to get tires put on a car rotated and not 
watch them over torque your wheel, even though you're telling them not. Not that hard, her. Why you just come to me? I was gonna say you gotta, <laughs> yeah. gotta be going to the wrong place, man. I took a torque stick the uh-huh. last time I bought tires. Uh-huh. I told him, "Do not do you put the wheels back on there without using this torque stick." Right. Well, he did, and I was just as I paid my bill, I looked out there, and he went all the way around the car with his lug wrench. Oh bit, man! Bit. <laughs> now you know even. Yeah, I- even with a torque stick, one thing we found is that for that torque stick to operate, because it operates kind of like a tuning fork, it has to vibrate and twist. If that man puts his hand on that torque stick and clamps down real hard with his hand, he'll change the torque on it. The, also, the amount of air pressure he's using will change the torque on yeah, that stick. Yeah, if you're overpressuring the guns, you could yeah. even change, change that somewhat. Torque. But the way it's supposed to be used, you put a torque stick on, you put a socket on, you put it on, and you run it down from the trigger of the gun. You don't wrap your hand around that torque right. stick because that changes the mass of the torque stick when you do that effectively and can cause them to get torque improperly. But yeah, if, if it's, it's used it's, right, it's going to work perfectly. It'll just get to bouncing once it hits the right place. That's right. Exactly. I've, so I've, I've had them put them on there, and then, like you said, check them with the torque wrench. Uh-huh. And I got it home. It's been about 100 pounds. I got it home, checked it, and I put mine on there, and it took 200 pounds to get that nut to move. Yeah, and the best thing, if you have any doubt, is when you go home, just go ahead and break them all loose and then come back with a torque wrench and retorque them yourself. Yeah, I've had them tell me that we calibrate our impact wrenches every morning. I know. You calibrate an impact wrench. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'd like to see yeah. that. Because I've worked with new mags all my life, and I know that ain't. Yeah, how, how does that work? <laughs> I just want to throw that in there. All right, Herb, thanks, Appreciate man. It. Thanks, Herb. Bye. Mm, bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we got Steve online. Good morning. Yeah, change the subject a little bit. Yesterday evening, coming from the store, I turned into my driveway and got under the carport, and all of a sudden, the, the air conditioner started blowing hot, hot air. And, hot, uh, hot like a heater, Steve, or hot yeah, like, like the heater was on, yeah. Okay, what, what kind of car is it? It's a 06 Silverado. Yeah, okay. And oh, did, I don't know if you checked, but was it the left blower blowing hot, hot, or did you reach over to the right side and see if it was hot also? It's the one right in the middle, whichever one that is. Okay, yeah, yeah. probably the one in the middle blowing on the driver, and there's another one all the way to the other yeah, side. that one. That's the one I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, that is called a temperature actuator. There are four of them on that truck, and one of the four has gone bad, most likely the left side. And what happens is that when it goes bad, the computer uses that to open and close a door, which either ducks air through the evaporator or through the heater core. If uh-huh. it sticks somewhere in between, it's going to blow hot and cold at the same time. And the air conditioning can blow about 40 degrees, but the heater yeah. puts out 200 degrees. So it's going right. to win. The heater always wins. And, uh, I turned the engine yeah, it off started working it started again. and it worked. It's right, working right. Now. But it's not going to keep on working. What's going to happen is on the very hottest day of August, when yeah. you're in a tuxedo <laughs> on the way to your daughter's wedding, it's yeah. going to hang up and it ain't going to come off. <laughs> but yeah, well, uh, pretty easy to fix. What you do, just bring it in. We can run the codes on it in the body model. It sets a code, and we can verify that's it. Now, fortunately, the one left is the easiest one by far to change. About a one-hour job to change it. Now, some of the other ones are very difficult. The dash has to come out. But it's most likely the left side temperature actuator. Fairly easy job. Kind of expensive part, but easy job. And my girls are 43 and 47. I don't believe they get married. <laughs> well, <laughs> on the day that your grandchild is born, there you go. and you're in a three-piece suit, all right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. All right, Steve. Bye-bye. Thanks Bye-bye. for calling, man. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back with a whole lot more. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? 
Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us in the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you have a question, comment, anything about the show, you give us calls, 291-6901. It doesn't have to be about the topic we're talking about. We'll entertain just about any automotive questions you have. There you go, or relating to automotive. That doesn't, even have, doesn't have to be a car question. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it has to do with gears and bolts and stuff like that. We probably know something about it. There you go. Somewhere along the line. Last week, we had a couple of calls, or actually, I think three calls, that all more or less hit on... Kind of the same topic? Well, kind of brought out a point, in my mind at least, that I'd like to share and talk a little bit more. And I've got two examples here, and these are both things that came in the shop that it just kind of brings up a point that I'd mm -hmm. like to make. The first gentleman, his battery went dead in his car, so the first thing he did when he put a battery in right, the car. Right, right. Well, the new one goes dead again, so now he figures out, well, I've probably got a bigger problem here. So he went ahead and did a little test, and he found out he had a bad alternator. Okay. So he replaced the alternator. Well, now it's all working good. Well, about a week later, he's driving the car, pulls up to a drive-in, hits his down button on the window, and oh. the window won't go down. Darn, window motor must have went out. Mm-hmm. Well, what he's doing right there is kind of the same thing he did with the battery. And there's something happens, and he, in his mind, decides what it must be. Right. And in the case of the battery, if he had an older battery, he probably wasn't out a whole lot. A good battery is $80, $90, and he might have needed it anyway. He had to eventually come back and change the alternator. But with the window motor, he went ahead and he replaced the window motor. Now, okay. To him, that made sense because it must be the window motor. So he starts looking around the Internet trying to find prices on window motors. He gets involved in all that, trying to figure out how hard this is going to be to do it. His mind is off on all these tangents. No one has ever established. That is the motor actually is bad? Is the motor actually bad? That was never, ever established. So he finds a motor, and he orders it, and he gets it, and he tears the door down. He puts it in, hits the button, and it still won't go down. Now what? Well, well says, now, now it's got to be further be up the line. It's got to be the switch. switch. So, again, he goes checking around, does some research. In the meantime, three or four weeks has passed by. He has to go to the dealer and buy this switch, which is not inexpensive, about $140 for the switch. Mm -hmm. Puts the switch in. The window still doesn't work. So now what? Yeah, well, that's it. Now he's out of ideas, so he brings it to us. And what it was is that when the original battery was replaced, when he took that battery out, he disconnected the cables, which, the windows lost the memory because they have a memory that they, sets the positions and does the express up and all that sort of thing. So what we had to do is go in, reset the memory. Well, now everything works fine. But in the interim, he spent several hundred dollars in several weeks of time. Right. And where this all started was it feels like or it looks like or I think it is, and then automatically or, in his mind that becomes the answer. And then he goes, 
off on his tangents of looking for prices and looking for information, looking for all these things, but he never established, is that, that the problem? Right. Now, another example, this was several years ago, and this just kind of, it would be funny if it wasn't kind of sad, but yeah. gentleman owned a car, and he is not a customer of ours. However, a friend his. of his is. Okay. And he's driving along, and it seems the further he goes, it's like the car has less and less power. And you mash the gas, it just doesn't want to go. And he says, well, it feels like it's running out of gas. Well, I'm not really sure what feels like it's running out of gas means, but that's what he thought. Feels like it's running out of gas. So he says, okay, if it's running out of gas and it still has gas in the tank. Then it's got to be. Got to be the fuel pump. Fuel pump. Well, that's a flaw in logic. Right. You can't just jump well, to that just, conclusion. It's just a guesstimation. It's a guess. So anyway, he goes in, he buys a fuel pump, and naturally he shops around, finds the cheapest fuel pump he can find, mm -hmm. puts it in, has the same exact problem, still doing the same thing. So he says, well, maybe it was the fuel pressure regulator. Maybe it's not allowing. Or he went online and somebody told him it might right. be fuel or whatever. Right. Anyway, our customer, who is his next-door neighbor and friend, says, look, why don't you get a diagnosis? Oh, I can't afford that. So he puts the fuel pressure regulator in it. Okay. Still got the same problem. Well, again, somebody says maybe the injectors are plugged up. So he goes in and he buys a set of injectors and puts in the car. Well, he's still got the same problem. Now he is totally frustrated. He spent way too much money on this car. Right. So he's got it got to be a big piece of junk now. Yeah, you yeah, know? This, this thing's just a piece of junk. It ain't really worth fooling with. So he's talking to our customer who is his neighbor. Right. And he says, Well, what, what do you want for the car like it is? <laughs> <laughs> so he sells it to him for almost nothing. Right. I want to say he bought the car for about a thousand dollars, which at that time it was probably in good running condition, an eight to ten thousand dollar car. Wow. So he picks it up for $1,000, brings it to us. We check it. First thing I do is a fuel pressure test. Fuel pressure is fine. Everything okay. he changed is well, for didn't need to be. Well, for about 15 minutes' time, we eliminate all those possibilities. That's right. Next thing we did was a back pressure test. He's got 15 pounds of back pressure after the vehicle runs for a while. So a couple more checks, less than 45 minutes' time, the catalytic converter is plugged up. There now, I report this to our customer. He says, well, Lewis, I appreciate your diagnosis. I'll pay you for your time, but I'm pretty handy. I can change that converter myself. Great call. Pays us for 45 minutes, which is about $45. Goes, gets a catalytic converter, installs it himself. Five years ago, he's still driving the car. How about that? <laughs> and he brings it in from time to time. Yeah. And, and we laugh about this story every, every time, time he comes in. Yeah, he's still so. <laughs> and, of course, his neighbor, <laughs> yeah. he spent $40,000 to solve a $350 problem because right. diagnosis was, was too, too expensive. expensive. But the point is you can't just say, well, it feels like this, or I think it is this. It's okay to do that. If you're going to do some testing to confirm that. Right. That's well, the next step. Well, what you've got at that point is a theory and all knowledge begins with a theory. Sure. But beyond the theory it requires testing. testing. In yep. other words, you have plan, do study act. First plan is to come up with a theory then you do a little bit of research a study or whatever. And then based on what the results are, you act on that. Now the act may be, okay, I have done a fuel pressure test. The pressure is dropping to zero. I've checked the voltage at the tank and I've still got voltage when the pressure drops to zero power and ground. I have taken and blocked the regulator off and it still does this. Now the act would be, I think it is the fuel pump. You got good evidence to back it up. You go in and replace the fuel pump. If you go in and you test the fuel pressure and it's not dropping off, then the act is, let me revise my theory and start off start again. Start over. Where, and do, where do we go now? Yeah, when 
theory does not equal fact. You have to revise the theory. You mm -hmm. can't revise the facts. And the fact is you've got fuel pressure when the problem occurs. So it's nothing in the fuel system that's causing this. You'd have spent 15 minutes doing a fuel pressure test. You could, eliminate you could have eliminated hundreds, if not thousands of dollars worth of parts you changed that probably weren't as good as the parts you took off. That's and for fact. May, maybe even created a secondary problem. You know, we had another gentleman who called last week, and he was saying his car was overheating, mm -hmm. but it didn't boil over, and it didn't do this, and it didn't do that, and it didn't lose coolant. But we've changed yada, yada, but yada, But I've changed yada. yak, 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 right. yak, yak. And he think he mentioned he had changed $5,000 worth of stuff over several years, and many people had worked on a car. But no one established, is, is the car actually overheating? Because this car is a big computer. Yeah. And if it thinks it is overheating. It doesn't matter if it is or not. Reality means nothing. If the electronic coolant temperature sensor is bad and it thinks the car is overheating, it's going to shut the air conditioner off. Sure. It's going to peg the gauge over. It's going to set the alarm off. All the same symptoms of an overheating car. But you can change thermostats 10 times. It's not going to fix the problem. You could put a new radiator. You can do all that stuff. You're in the wrong place. But you never established, is the car actually overheating or does the car just think it's overheating? Right. Because with a computer, it is going to execute its program. If it thinks it's getting hot, then it's going to do the same exact things it would if do it was. if it were getting hot. It's going to peg the gauge over. It's going to sound an alarm. It's going to turn off the AC. It may start misfiring because it's going to cool down strategy. All these things. Now, that could be a loose wire. That could be a rodent got in there, chewed the wire, and it's going to ground, yep. which to the computer thinks, okay, now I'm all the way hot because I've got full voltage returning on this sensor. It could be the computer itself is going bad. It may have a glitch. The driver, yeah, the driver could be dropping on it. Particularly if this is an intermittent problem. It only does it every three or four weeks or every three or four months. Right. Well, the thing is, if it were a bad thermostat, it would not stick every three or four months. No, it would Once stick. Once it's stuck, it, it would be stuck. Right. So the point is, you have to use a method. You can't just say, well, it feels like this or I think it's this. And then start changing parts. And then start changing parts. That is a beginning point. Now, to the same exact thing is codes again we've talked about this many 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 times trouble codes when PCM you get codes. a diagnostic trouble code that is not what is wrong no that, that is, is simply just... a code that is set to reflect which circuit the computer thinks, thinks something is wrong exactly because if the electronic temperature sensor went bad and reported to the computer that it was overheating the code is going to be engine overheat yes because it thinks it is overheated although has not you have to verify that that's why you've got technicians in the field that's why people make a living doing this because you just can't take those codes literally i mean one of the most prevalent codes we see is oxygen sensor oh codes. yeah i mean people come in they've got four new oxygen sensors they still got whatever the original malady was the check engine light still coming on and again for the most part an oxygen sensor reads out of range because something is out of range. Sure, but that's its job. For instance, if it's got a ruptured vacuum hose, it's running too lean. Well, the oxygen sensor will be out of range because it's too lean. There's too much oxygen in the exhaust. If the exhaust manifold is leaking bad enough, it could induce oxygen into the exhaust, and it's going to read an oxygen sensor code. Right, we see that all the time. Yeah, if wiring problems, computer problems, if it's got a misfire, if one of the spark plugs is bad, it's got more fuel left in the exhaust, it can so it, set an oxygen sensor code. Right. It can also set a mass airflow sensor code because it knows it's got too much fuel for the amount of air, and that particular car may be programmed to say mass airflow. 
Another car may be programmed to say oxygen sensor when that condition exists. We made that symptom on two different vehicles in the shop one Mm -hmm. day for our uh, auto awareness class. That's right. We took a Chevy truck and a Toyota Tundra and introduced a vacuum leak into both of them. Same Same vacuum vacuum leak vacuum leak. And it set two separate codes. Yeah, it set an oxygen sensor code on the Toyota and it set an airflow sensor code on the Chevrolet. That was not the problem with either one. Nope. It's it just a big vacuum leak. that's the way this car is programmed. When it cannot control the fuel-air mixture, it says something. It just said that. That mm-hmm. was a guess. It's sort of like we see lots and lots of times people get an EVAP code. And one of the possibilities is a bad fuel cap. Okay. So they go and change the fuel cap. Well, the problem's still there. Well, maybe they change the fuel cap again, or they confused at that point. But again, it doesn't mean the fuel cap is bad. That is simply one of the possibilities. What it means is the engine cannot draw a vacuum and hold it on the fuel tank. Mm -hmm. Now, a ruptured vacuum hose is going to cause the same problem. Sure, a crack in the fuel tank. Crack in the fuel tank. Any one of the solenoids not sealing is going to cause the same exact symptom. Another thing is a sensor in the tank called a pressure sensor that senses the vacuum. If the tank does not see this change on the sensor, it's going to assume that it's not being able to hold a vacuum. It may be working perfectly. It just can't see it because the sensor's not reporting that it's got a vacuum on it. Right. So, again, it's going to set the same code, which is maybe a gas tank cap code. I've seen this just over and over and over again, and countless parts get changed. Now, if it's a $25 gas cap, that's not so bad. bad. And if it's old, maybe it needed to change it anyway. Okay, that's fine if you want to do that. I don't see too, too much problem there. But when you start changing out solenoids and gas tanks and PCMs and and possibly creating another problem, many, many times we had a guy who he heard the show. He said, well, maybe it is that sensor. So he pulls the fuel pump out, changes the sensor, puts it all back together. Well, he's still got the same code. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, then he brings it to us. Well, what you've got now is a leak at the top of the gas tank. Right. Well, Because there's a big gasket there that has to be put down perfectly right. so it will seal. And requires a special tool to get it in there properly. What he did, it may have been the fuel pressure sensor. I don't know because that's been changed, so we don't know what existed before. All I can tell you now is it's leaking around the top of the gas tank, and you just had that apart. Mm-hmm. Now, was that the original problem? Maybe. Don't know. Maybe not. There's no way to know that. What we can say, that's the problem now. That has to be fixed. So you may have solved one problem and created, created another a second one. problem and both give you the same code. So right. now you don't know. And, what, and that's, that's where testing comes in. You can take a scan tool and you can watch that pressure mm-hmm. on the readout on the scan tool. Well, if you, and it gives you a voltage. If you command it, a vacuum you, and you see the vacuum appear, you know the sensor's reading. If you know what you're looking at and know how to diagnose that type of information, mm-hmm. you can look at the reading and the readings of the other sensors and pretty much put together, hey, this sensor's not reading right. Right. Well, I can go in and, like I said, if I command a vacuum on the tank and I see a vacuum appear on the tank, I know the sensor's working. I exactly. know the pressure sensor's working, so I can eliminate that. Now, if that pressure degrades very quickly, next thing I'm going to check the solenoids. Make and, sure. again, you can check those with a vacuum pump and with a voltmeter and putting voltage source to it. You can command them on, command them off, see if it holds vacuum or not. The next step is to go in with a smoke machine and find out where the leak is in the system. In, introduce smoke into the EVAP system and then get underneath the vehicle and start looking for where the smoke's coming out at. That's right. And without a knowledge of how all these things work, you can create far, far more oh, problems than you're ever going to solve. Most definitely. And the Especially with point is, it's way, way, way less expensive to pay somebody to tell you what's wrong, even if you want to fix it yourself, than to go in and just create other problems. Yep. Hey, one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. 
Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by the side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And, you know, we were talking just a little bit about diagnosis and going wrong uh -huh. on diagnosis and all that sort of thing. And, like I said, that is just very, very, very easy to do. And you got to remember, people say, well, I got it diagnosed at, and they name off some parts store. That is not, not a diagnosis. That is reading a code. Exactly. Which, at best, is the starting point for it. But what happens a lot of times is that there will be multiple codes now, one thing that a professional brings to the mix, he can look at multiple codes. He can determine which of these is priority priority, and which of these are secondary. Uh -huh. Because if you've got, let's say, a misfire code and an oxygen sensor code and a knock sensor code and maybe a fuel air lean code or something like that. Right. Which one do you go after first? You have to go after the misfire exactly. first because that's a priority one code. It could be causing all the other For codes. For sure. Very easily. I mean, a misfire in the engine is a charge of fuel that's not getting burned. The oxygen sensor right. is going to pick that up. It's going to set a code. Right. If the motor's missing and it starts rattling Knocking. around, the knock sensor is going to pick it up. That's going to set a code. That's right. So, you know, you go after the, the main You have to the know priority code. what priorities to address the codes in. Same thing with electrical problems. If you've got a check engine light and a low voltage code and you've got an anti-lock brake code and you've got a security system code and maybe a, a suspension system code, you go after the voltage code first. Correct. Because the voltage code can set transmission codes. It can set all these things. Everything that has to do with a computer has got to have 12 and a half volts right off. That's the baseline. So if the voltage drops below that, it can set any number of other codes and introduce any number of other problems. You have to fix that first. It's sort of like a transmission problem with an engine running problem. No matter what, no matter how sure you think you need a transmission, You've got, got to, to address those engine running problems because the transmission takes all of its inputs from the engine. From the engine, I'm sorry. And very, very often we'll see people, they feel some kind of weird transmission problem. First thing, go on the phone and call around, how much is the rebuilt transmission? Again, it's just like the guy with the fuel pump. It's just like the guy with the yep. alternator. Yep. You have decided what you think is wrong based on absolutely nothing. nothing. And now you go off on a tangent of trying to do these things. You get a transmission put in there, and it's still the same exact problem. And what it was was some engine input was missing, 
and so the transmission was reacting to it. Yeah, a lady came in not long ago with a little Maxima, and she says, I need a transmission. Uh-huh. I said, well, well, another shop already told me. I said, I'm sorry, we're still going to have to diagnose the problem. Correct. And she didn't want to come in because she already knew she needed a transmission, but her mother, who was paying the bill, told her that she was going to have to bring it in. Uh-huh. She brings it in, and what we find is a bad cam sensor. How about that? And with the cam sensor bad, it didn't know the speed of the engine, so the transmission locked up in, in I the, think it was fourth gear. Yeah. So if she continued to drive the car, she was going to burn it up because it was taking off in fourth gear. But it was nothing to do with the transmission. She was already ready to go oh, trade yeah. the car off because she was sure it needed a transmission. She didn't want to spend that much money. And if she got a trans put in it, it would have done the, the same, same thing. exact thing because it was the cam sensor causing the problem. Right. So, hey, let's go back to our phone lines. We got Herb online. Come on, Herb. Hey, I hate to keep following y'all. I got a couple little tales here. My son borrowed my Taurus, an old model. Mm-hmm. We went to. We just put a fuel pump in, so he had to go to Houston to see his girlfriend. Well, anyhow, he he filled it up with my car, so he didn't pay no attention. When he got over there, he was still almost full. And he couldn't figure that out. So on the way back, he said, I'm going to fill it up just for good measure. And he called me and said, Dad, it's getting wet underneath. I said, pay the bill and get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> burn the gas. What it was, we had left the air leak, a uh, vacuum leak, what are you going to call it, in the top of the tank mm-hmm. up there where we put the thing in. And it had overfilled the tank. Oh, yeah. Right. So he had he just barely burnt down to the full mark. Huh. So that was, that was that deal. And then I give him my Ford Ranger truck, and he started running bad. He called me and said, listen to this thing. It was clicking and making all kinds of racket and jerking and carrying on. And he said, I, I, he experimented on it, you know, and the lady in the shop still wanted to buy it. So she bought it. And he said, I hated to see her the next time. I, uh, Cause I was afraid she was going to ask me, I, I sold her a piece, tell her, I sold her a piece of junk, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how did the truck go? And she said, he thought it needed, he just needed a new battery. Said, uh, the man <laughs> said all the, the voltage, alternator was taking the, putting all the voltage trying right. to charge the battery and the computer didn't have enough. That's right. right. That's right. You, yep. Man, I tell you, you run across so many things like that. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd throw that in the barrel. <laughs> okay, man. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, that's funny. We had a gentleman who was a pretty good customer for a long period of time and he had a Ford truck and this was one of the old models with the six on one of the best trucks they ever built. Yeah. And this thing had about 300,000 miles on it. And the transmission, he thought, was going out. Right. So he says, look, this truck doesn't owe me a nickel. I got 300,000 miles on it. I just, I'm not going to spend any money on it. I think I'm just going to donate it to charity. Uh-huh. And Josh, the transmission guy at the shop, needed a truck. Right. So he says, well, I'll rebuild the transmission if I need to. So Josh ends up buying this truck for $100. Okay. That's what he was going to get as a write-off, I think, on things. So he ends up right. selling the truck to Josh for $100. Josh checks it, and the filter in the transmission had fallen off. No kidding. Yeah, the little grommet had come off, fell down into the pan, so it was sucking air, which was going to neutral, and it did feel. So he just takes, pops a new grommet, pops a new filter, fills it up with fluid, drove the truck 100,000 miles beyond that. (laughs) (laughs) So pretty good $100 investment. I'm telling you. (laughs) But it all goes back to that same point, just like Herb said, this feels like it's this, or I think it's this. That's not a very good... At best, that is a starting point to start checking. But you have to have some sort of test that you can repeat to back that up. You need the knowledge to understand the test because what you knew back in the late 80s, early 90s, no longer... Yeah, that doesn't mean anything at all necessarily because cars may look the same. They still got four wheels, they still got a roof, and they still got windows. But that's about the only thing, about the only similarity to what you got now. Right, they're just totally, totally different. So, 
you know, just a kind of expensive lesson you can avoid. Uh, they said, guy says, smart man learns by his mistakes. They know a smart man learns from other people's mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Average man learns from his mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got to get on out of here. I see we're just about out of time. Well, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning to the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be, and find the written review, and please fill it out for us. Hey, go fill out that written review. Give us a positive rating, and that will move us up in the rating so more people can listen to the show. More people listen to the show. The longer we can do it. That's right. The more we can do it, because sooner or later, they're going to run us off here. They're going to figure <laughs> out, hey, nobody's listening to these guys. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Boom. <laughs> Whoop. Pow. Yeah, there. <laughs> Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.